Bienvenido a otro podcast de la Iglesia C29 Granada. Esperamos que te inspire y te haga reflexionar. Hello to everybody. Our title for today is Why are we here? And what's that got to do with the rest of creation? Well, when I was about 16 years old, I felt what I understood as a call from God to be an overseas missionary. A few years later, as a medical student, um, I can remember discussing with friends how the practice of medicine could maybe fit in with missionary work. I had to ask myself about the actual importance of being a doctor. Was it just a good way of learning a living? Um, was it perhaps special because it's a convenient way of showing the love of God to people? Or is it actually more significantly important in the development and the use of medical science as part of God's purpose for humans? In the decades since then, I've, I've repeatedly come back to the same questions. They didn't change when I, when I changed over in my career from being a, a, a pediatrician to, to a public health doctor. And frankly, they were the same questions wherever we were living and working in the world, whether it was in West Africa or Papua New Guinea, Afghanistan, the US or here in Europe. Still the same questions. And trying to work this out has been, been difficult. I tried looking through a bit of history to see if that would help, but honestly it didn't, except perhaps in a negative way. Down through the centuries, one of the questions that people have kept on asking is, what is the kingdom of God? It's quite clear that Jesus was crucified by the Jewish leaders because they thought that he was the wrong kind of Messiah. Most Jews at that time believed that the Old Testament prophets had promised that there would be a king in the line of David who would defeat the Romans and restore a global kingdom to Israel. Then God would return to Zion and fill the temple once more with his glory. That was their expectation. That was going to be a real, physical, earthly kingdom. And Jesus disappointed them. And then there was actually a different message which explained this to some extent. The followers of Jesus later came to understand that instead of bringing in a real, earthly kingdom, Jesus had actually come to deal with the problem of sin and evil. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is always referred to as talking about the, the kingdom of heaven rather than just the kingdom of God. And then remember, when Jesus was talking with Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And to his disciples, Just before he was betrayed, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me. 
in other words, there's an awful lot here which seems to suggest that the kingdom of heaven was literally and really a kingdom of heaven. After Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire uh, in the fourth century, a lot of things changed. Um, the big issue actually was who was going to be in charge of the kingdoms of this earth? Was it going to be the kings of the nations or was it going to be the heads of the church? And that was true between the Pope and the, the various kings in Western Europe and and in, in the Eastern Church, between the heads of the of the Orthodox Church and the and the, the head of the of the Byzantium. But in spite of that, one of the other most important influences on Christian theology and thinking during that time was the influence of classical Greek philosophy. In particular, Plato had taught that things of the spirit were good and the things of uh, and material things and the things of the flesh were evil. And that sort of thinking had a considerable effect on the way that people talked, talked and thought about spirituality and holiness on the one hand. And it was enormously important as a start to first the hermits and then the whole movement of, of monasticism, which grew through the whole medieval period and is still with us today. The Reformation brought a few changes to all of this, but really it was what we call the Enlightenment that started about the same time as the Reformation in the 16th century that has changed things significantly. The Enlightenment thinkers rediscovered another Greek philosopher or teacher called Epicurus. And Epicurus said, you know, there probably isn't a god, but if there is a god, he's very remote and he's not the least bit interested in what's going on here on earth. And that really became the heart of Enlightenment thinking and has been the cause of the, the secularization of our culture ever since. It basically led to the conviction that religion no longer has any relevance to the marketplace or to the public square. Religion is now something which is strictly personal and private. And in a formal sense, that is that has led increasingly in some countries to the legal separation of church and state. You know, actually, this is all part of the background to my questions about how my work and other aspects of my life fit into my being a missionary and what God wants all of us to do in this world as Christians. I know it's a bit of a caricature, but I think it's fair to say that I grew up with the clear message that the work of Christians is to preach the gospel so that people can be saved and go to heaven when they die. And the significance and the importance of work, science and technology, business, the arts and other humanities was not at all clear except that maybe somehow or other Christians were supposed to be moral and good in those contexts.
In our last study, we tried to understand the significance of the coronavirus pandemic in our world at this time. And as part of that, we recognized that creation that God made was good, but not perfect. The perfect earth and universe are only going to happen when the present heavens and earth are replaced by God's new heaven and earth when Christ returns as judge to put everything right. Today, I want us to to look at this um, more carefully as a way of trying to find some of those answers to my questions about life and work and about my mission and God's mission, our mission and God's mission. And so that's why today's title is, Why Are We Here? And what has that got to do with the rest of creation? So let's start right back at the beginning in in Genesis chapter 1. So if you happen to have your Bibles there, let's look back to Genesis chapter 1 and the first two verses, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth had no form and was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, okay, first of all, God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's very clear. But then we're told about the state of the earth at that time. It had no form, and it was empty. It was dark. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Remember the last time I mentioned that in Jewish and ancient Middle Eastern thought, the sea was a symbol of of powers that couldn't be controlled, of maybe randomness, perhaps chaos. And here we've got a picture of God's Spirit hovering over the waters. This was the earth at that stage without form. It was empty. It was dark. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the the symbol of chaos and randomness. But the next several verses, most of the rest of of this first chapter, describe a whole series of things that God does to bring order and structure into the earth and its solar system. First, there's the separation of day and night, separation of light and darkness into day and night. Then there's the separation of the sky from the earth, and then the separation of land from the sea. Then, having created these different spaces, God creates life forms and fills these spaces. First is the vegetation, then are the fishes and the birds, and then the ground brings forth animal life. Finally, God creates humans. Scientists sometimes talk about what they call the anthropic principle. And it's something which has a lot of technical aspects to it, which I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not even competent to get into. But basically, the anthropic principle is an expression of scientific awe and wonder. It says that it's amazing that we're here at all, 
and that we can study and understand the, the earth and the cosmos that we're part of. But more particularly, it recognizes that we are only here first because the fundamental laws of the universe are the way they are. Gravity is just the way it is. It's not stronger. It's not weaker. It's just the way it is. Second, because the age of the universe is such that the formation of carbon and other minerals has reached a point where it's a, the mix of chemicals on the earth is appropriate for the formation and the maintenance of life as we know it. And then thirdly, that our particular planet Earth is the size that it is and the distance that it is from the sun so that our climate at this time is just right for supporting the wealth of life forms that exist on our planet. If any of those things were different, the fundamental laws of the, of the universe, the mix of chemicals on this earth, or the size of the earth and the distance from the sun so that our climate was different, we wouldn't be here to observe and enjoy what God has made for us. So Genesis 1 is telling us, therefore, that God is the creator of the cosmos and that this planet Earth is where he organized our solar system and the structure and the composition of the Earth to create the special conditions for the creation and maintenance of life. Finally, he created humans and he said, that's really good. Now I can take a rest from all this developing and organizing. We know that from the rest of the of the Old Testament that God considered that rest that he took on the seventh day to be very important. So we should try to understand why it was important to him. First, clearly God continues to be involved in his creation and with human society. He's not resting in the sense that he's completely withdrawn from involvement in the universe. For a start, he maintains the universe in its being. Without him, it would fall apart or disappear. So what was God resting from? He was resting from the developing and the organizing work that had been, he'd been doing in the six days because the continuation of that work was now passed on to the men and the women he had made specifically for that work. God had been doing all of that organizing and developing of the earth and the creation of life and, human, and humanity. And he was taking a rest of that because he had passed on the work of continuing the organizing and the maintenance of, of what he had created to the men and women he had made specifically for that work. So let's go back to, to Genesis again. And let's look at verses 26 and, uh, to 28, where it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, 
and all of the wild animals and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is such an amazing passage of scripture. And like everyone before us and surely coming after us, we ask, what on earth does it mean that we're made in God's image and in his likeness? And like everybody else before us, and I'm sure after us, we'll have lots of ideas, but still remain mystified. However, the one thing that we can be certain of is the reason why God made us in his image. Because he tells us, and that is that so that we could rule over the rest of the living creatures that he had made. Right there in verse 26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and so on. So God made men and women in his image, and then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, the birds, and all of the animals and the creepy crawlies. So first, let's notice that God did not, um, did not only design humans in his image for a purpose, he then blessed them. He empowered them to be able to fulfill the purpose that he had for them. His first commandment was then to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That seems fairly straightforward enough, but um, perhaps we should remember that the story of the Tower of Babel that suggests that they were certainly at that time reluctant to spread all over the earth and they wanted to hunker down and make themselves comfortable in a city. So maybe there were some significant challenges in spreading over to the over the earth. The next command suggests that that actually might be the case because he's, he says, fill the earth and subdue it. The Hebrew word for subdue here means to bring under control or bring order out of disorder. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what God was doing with the earth and the solar system to make it suitable for living matter? God said to Adam and Eve, he said, to subdue the earth. And then finally he says, rule over all the living things that I have made. And again, we should ask about the meaning of the word rule. I want us to explore that idea a bit more in some future studies because the meaning and the purpose of ruling varies across nations and cultures. Certainly at the time of Israel, most of the rulers of the nations around and about were men who assumed their right to exploit their people and the lands under their control. 
but God made it very clear that he didn't approve of an exploiting way of ruling. His purpose for a king was to care for his people, to do everything possible to make them all flourish. So he says, rule all over, over all the living creatures that I have made to care for them and to make them flourish. So God's purpose for humans was that they should first of all fill the earth and bring order out of disorder. They should also rule over all the living creatures in, a, in order that they should flourish. Let's just quickly move on to Genesis chapter 2 to learn a little bit more about this. Genesis 2 is the parallel account of the creation that gives us more details of the creation of, of humans. God has organized the earth, and in a place that was called Eden, he has prepared a garden, especially for the humans he is creating. And in chapter 2 and verse, seven, uh, verse 15, um, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And again, we have two interesting words that describe the purpose for which God put Adam in the garden. Interestingly, neither of these actually quite common words are used in the rest of the Hebrew Bible in the context of horticulture or agriculture. So nevertheless, the first word is to work the garden. This is the word that is actually usually translated as serve, when somebody is serving somebody else. And when we serve somebody else, we usually do what they want, what's best for them, and what serves their purpose. The second word is to take care of or to keep the garden. And again, this word is the one that's usually um, associated in we, we use it in the sense of keeping the law or in the, in, in the biblical context, observing Torah, the laws of God. And in my mind, this translates into the idea of making sure that something is used for the purpose for which it was intended. To keep the garden is to use it and make sure that it is used for the purpose for which it was intended. So taking these two ideas together to serve and to make sure that something is used for the correct purpose, it actually adds up to almost the same meaning as the word to rule meant in chapter one. So here, here we have some indication of the ways in which God expected us to, as humans, to work in his creation. Outside of the Garden of Eden, there was wilderness. And men and women were to multiply and fill the earth. And as they go, they were to make order out of the disorder that they, that they found. But in doing that, they needed to understand the significance and purpose of everything that they found. And before they added their order or made their kind of order to the disorder and created new things, 
they needed to be sure the things being made were or used were being used appropriately and in order that everything together should flourish. In other words, this was all about responsible and development and use of the world in which they found themselves. There's no place for careless or, de or deliberate exploitation. And this, this is what we sometimes refer to as the creation mandate. This was what, this was the mandate that God gave to human beings, to Adam and Eve, Eve and their descendants. Okay, well, a lot of things have happened since then. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were sent out of the Garden of Eden. The ground was cursed, but the creation mandate was not withdrawn. In chapter 3 and verse 23 of Genesis, it says, So the Lord God banished the man from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And this is the same word, work or serve the ground, that we were looking at um, in, in chapter 1. The word hasn't changed. The work is still the same. And as we read on, um, particularly in Genesis chapter 4, um, it's clear that humans actually went on and started to do what God planned for them to do. We see a description of the development of agriculture. There was the domestication of animals. They started making tools, first of all from bronze and later from iron. There was the development of music and musical instruments. Some people lived in tents, but others lived in cities. And there was the development of religious practices. In other words, we can see here that there was the development of all forms of culture. They were doing just what God intended for them to do. But moving on in, in the story, um, we're all familiar with the story of, story of Noah and the flood. And some of you, I'm sure, will have seen the, the movie called Noah, starring Russell Crowe and Emma Watson. The Hollywood movie takes um, an environmental crisis interpretation of the story. And I must say, when I first saw the, 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 the movie, I quite enjoyed it. But I was disappointed that somehow the real meaning of the story had been lost. But it did seem certainly for our time and, and, and circumstances, a very, interpret very appropriate interpretation. However, you know, when I went back to read the, the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis again, I discovered that there was almost certainly an environmental crisis. And that was at least part of the reason that God was so angry. In Genesis chapter 6, we, from verses 11 to 14, we read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people 
for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. Obviously, we don't have any detail, but it says here clearly that the earth was corrupted because all of the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Human behavior was corrupted and the earth, their environment was corrupted as a result. And because of that, God was angry, very angry. But interestingly, the other side of the story also emphasizes the fact that mankind is still responsible for all, the, all of the living things. The story tells how Noah and his family had to find a breeding pair of all of the creatures to bring them into the ark so that they could start the world of living things all over again afterwards. We see that the connection between humans and the earth hasn't changed, though the story is a sad one. What happened over the next few thousand years um, is, 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 is a lot. And I want us to actually talk about some of those things in the next few studies, both what happened during the time of the Old Testament in, in the children of Israel and the laws that God gave them, and then how that worked out again in the New Testament in, in the church. But for now, I want us to finish by looking at the end of the Bible. And there we can see how things will end and what our part will again be. So turn with me, if you've got your Bible, to the end of the Bible, uh, end of the Bible to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to read the first five verses of uh, chapter 21. And John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. The chapter goes on to say a lot more about um, the, the city, the new Jerusalem that is coming down from, from heaven to earth. John describes it as this, this huge cube with sides that he says are 1,500 kilometers long. It's massive. And it's made of gold and many precious stones. And it has the river of life flowing down its mainstream. And then uh, later on in that chapter in verses from verse 22, John says, I didn't see a temple in the city 
because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And then notice the next bit. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does not does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. However magnificent this city is, and it will be amazing, still we're told that was that the, there was still going to be the room for the splendor of the kings of the of the earth and the honor and glory of the nations will be brought into it that's amazing have you thought about that god's work for men and women started with a garden that's where what he made for them to start their work it seems to finish with this amazing city. And into that city, God wants to continue bringing in all the creative glory of humans, what we can do. The splendor of the kings of the earth and the honor and the glory of the nations. So what are we all going to be doing? Chapter 22 tells us, and we can look at verses 3 to 5 as we finish off. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And, first of all, his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And then secondly, and they will reign forever and ever. God made Adam and Eve and their descendants to rule over his creation and to bring the, pra the praise of creation back to God. The Old Testament describes giving Israel, God giving Israel a land of their own as a kingdom of priests. In the New Testament, we read that as God's church here and now, we are described as a royal priesthood. And then in the new heaven and the new earth, we will continue as priests to serve God and as kings to rule over the new creation. We're going to end up just as we started off, doing the same things that God created us for. To rule and to bring praise to him. So those are those are the thoughts that I've I've 
pulled together over the years, I suppose, as I've asked myself, why am I here? What's my job all about? So I want us to, to spend the rest of the time. Let's talk a little bit. Um, and I've got quite a number of questions here. The first one I, I write, wrote down here was, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I ask myself, and I I'm, I'm put this out for us to discuss, what all is included, therefore, in God's kingdom? And when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what human activities should be covered by God's will? And are there any activities that could be left out? You know, what do we include in the kingdom of God and what human activities need to be brought under his will? Is there anything that's left out? What do people think? Oh, come on. <laughs> I would, I mean, it all depends on how you define human activity. Doing war, killing, killing people is a hum, currently a human activity. I would certainly hope that that would be left out. Or left out or brought under the will of God. Do we need war if in the new, uh, new heaven and new earth? I'd hope not. Okay. I'd say left what, out. What, what, what do others think? How do we answer Rita Lisa's issue about war in terms of what we pray? Adriana. You've got something uh, about war, you say? Yeah. How does that? How how do we deal with the idea of war against what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, but we were saying. Lisa was saying, if in the new heaven and new earth we're going to have, we were going to have this. Yeah, is what I understood. I mean, okay. Uh, I think that. Um, in the new heaven and new, in new earth, we are not going to have this kind of stuff because we are going to be with God. So we don't need to be uh, dealing with war or with uh, um, negative things because uh, it's like everything is going to be in peace. It doesn't mean that we are not going to be working for him. And as you were saying, Ian, uh, we're going to keep uh, ruling, uh, ruling out things and we are going to keep praising him in different ways. And, and and now in the present, I mean, currently, I think that all, all the activities that we that we develop can can be praising God, can be ruling. I mean, we we are we are doing what He commanded us in in all our activities. The only thing that maybe it's out of it is if we are disobeying and we are hurting other people, and you know, we are causing different things that are not. Uh, under his will and actually I, ha I I used to have a conflict in my mind because I really wanted to to share news with people and to talk about the gospel with everybody and 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 the conflict is between my job as a pharmacist and doing it in the in into the world or being a missionary and just uh, develop the activity to to talk to people but out of my profession you know what I mean it's like a, it's like a conflict, but 
but even though if I do it with my profession, I think that I, I'm gonna maybe it's maybe maybe God can use my profession to open more doors to to reach more people uh, for Him. Thank thank you, Adriana. What what do others think? And have others had the same sort of conflict in their their thinking about their their job and their their witnessing as as a Christian? Or, or does somebody have an idea and, and 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 have an idea about Adriana's job as a as a pharmacist? What do they think about that? Is that part of God's mission? Juliet, what are you thinking? Um, yes, I mean I'm sure it's part of of God's mission that He can use us in whatever you know our job is, whether we decide to to dedicate all our time as a missionary or whether we work in in the secular world and and um and god uses us there i mean obviously something like um pharmacy brings you into contact with with other people and you know that that's always an advantage of working in a secular environment is that you are working among with people and and among people who don't know god and so obviously that gives you a good start in in being able to to witness other thoughts? Marila, are you trying to say something we can't hear? Oh, missed you. Okay, listen, can I, can I come back on this? Because last, last time we, we spent, we, we were talking about the, the coronavirus pandemic. And I mean, it's certainly true that that has um, by itself created a lot of chaos and disorder. Um, now, pharmacy... Is, is there a way in which pharmacy can be thought of as a way in which humans are fulfilling their purpose to bring order out of disorder? Is the, the creation of, of, of drugs and antibiotics and antivirals and vaccines is that is that part of god's intention for humans to go on controlling disorder and chaos in in the world and putting things right yeah definitely it is i mean well it's what i think definitely it is um because it's, it's bringing health. I mean, it's working to bring health for people. When 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 people are sick or if people have a disease, it's like being under chaos. It's it's, it's a situation. It's a chaotic situation. So I mean, if you bring health, using medications or creating medications or. Um, mm, yeah, providing any service for the community, it's 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 under his purpose, I think. Good. Good. I was seeing a movie today in Amazon Prime. It's Arcadia. I don't know if you are watching about that, but it was a movie about this pharmacy and how. A few years in, in the future, people get super sick and the way to control this sickness is uh, having in 
so many pills and so many this kind of thing that you fix your illness and all the population is is dying under in between 13 years old or 40 years old so they control the people and giving them uh, so many pills so everybody at the end is sick it's so interesting because they are selling like you can't live without pills and then people they are trying to say that it's normal to be sick it's part of the life so maybe you need three years to be healed of something in a natural way than using pills all the time and for me it's, it was super interesting arcadia if you want to watch it is is at the end um, a fighting between the capitalism and and money and have people under control and control the situation and selling the best thing or the most important thing is be healthy and on the other hand and trying to to understand the world that we live that is sick and it's normal to be sick sometimes it's part of the of the way and thinking on that on the western that you do before like what is going to happen when we be in the in heaven it's going to be war it's not going to be um sickness what is going to happen with the, all this stuff um it's true it's going to be different it's true is this this war that we live in now is more like economically war like people is fighting about things and, and more than fighting <laughs> in the real world it's true that we want to have everything under control and and fight a fight or a war is me being disagree with you and not being polite and me forcing you that you have to do whatever i want and i assume that it's not gonna be that in heaven heaven is uh, we were chosen to be there with god and it's all chose to live their ways here and there and learning how to live in that way accepting things living in a certain ways and not fighting to to try to impose or thoughts or believe or or needs thank you esther that's helpful and and interesting to 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 uh, and we'll link up with other things that we're going to talk about later but you know i i think i think you bring up the the, the point that and and we've all agreed in the new heaven and earth things are going to be perfect and all of the the things that are wrong in this world at the moment are going to be over and gone but here we are at the moment and we are in a world that's um that's not perfect and and there are many things that are are, are wrong um but still this is the world where god placed us to bring order out of disorder and to develop the world um uh, in in a way which he wanted us to do we've talked about pharmacy as 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 a way of of one way in which um the the creative gifts that that god has given humans to develop drugs and vaccines and all sorts of things like this is is being used to create order out of some of the disorders and and i think we could we can think about a lot of other sorts of things as well you know in in this sort of context um i i would say well okay what about somebody like like huli um this is husband 
who who works in the gym. Now, how does how does his work fit into this notion of making order out of disorder? Um, maybe thinking about this whole idea of health again, or the idea of ruling in the sense of serving and making people and things flourish. What, what do you think about that, Liz? <laughs> yeah, I think um, absolutely. Like, I think what Huli does is great. Uh, he gets people thinking about their health, um, not just uh, physical, but also encouraging people uh, on their nutrition. And so, yeah, I think it's really important for us to grow, you know, as healthy human beings, as, as, as God also instructed us to look after our bodies, you know, they're, they're a, a temple where God resides. And so, yeah, I do see that as an important job and fulfilling at least for him, um, God's will in his life. Um, he definitely is very excited, <laughs> you know, loves encouraging people in that area. So he feels very fulfilled and he, he feels that it's his God's calling. He worked previously to that. He worked in administration for, a, well, in, in Buenos Aires, he worked for a company that um, does something quite different. And um, he wasn't so satisfied in that job and he didn't feel like he flourished even though he probably you know <laughs> made more money but um so I think it is important that each person finds what um you know God has put in their heart and to really go for that because I think that's you know when God does make you flourish and help you to yeah and to bring order within your own life but also to help others get that order or find that order so to speak i don't know if that makes sense yeah good thank you liz liz and and uh, we we must finish here <clears throat> because our time's up but um okay there are there are others of you here who are, are do who are teachers or business people and i think we we need to 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 be able to in a sense have have a discussion with ourselves and maybe with others about what we do and we we need to say ask ourselves well now in what sort of way does what i do um contribute to the idea of bringing order into situations of disorder on the one hand or to what extent does the work that i do help individuals or communities to grow and to flourish so that people's needs are met, so that culture becomes enriched, so that the whole, whole experience of life becomes richer and richer. Because that's what God said to Adam and Eve at the beginning, he, he said, listen, I've, I've created you for a job. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. I want you to bring order, bring imagination to develop it. I want you to rule over all of the living things on the earth. In other words, to, to serve them, to make them flourish. 
And as we saw, there's been the development of culture. And what started off as just a garden at the beginning finishes up as this quite extraordinary, complicated, huge um, and beautiful city, the New Jerusalem. Um, and as you've heard me said before, I'm sure that that's, that's run as much with really fancy artificial intelligence and all sorts of things which make it work. And these are all of the things of culture and science and technology that humans have been given the ability to create by God. He blessed them and, and, and said, go and do this sort of thing. And even in the new heaven and earth, as well as in the here and now, we will be bringing the creativity, the achievements of culture and technology and of human relationships into that situation. And that will all be part of serving God and, and praising him. So I, I, I hope this has been a, a, a helpful thing. I want us to go on and talk more about, about work another time. Um, and as Esther has brought up the whole business of the economy and, 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 and this sort of thing, that's another thing that, that I want us to talk about. Because these are all the outworkings of the sort of thing that we've spoken about today. So anyway, there we must stop. Let me just finish briefly with a with a prayer um, and then say thank you for, for joining us and look forward to next time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that we have. We all have copies of your word that we can read in our own language and understand. We thank you for all that you've told us about there, for all that you teach us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to really search your scriptures so that we can understand your truth and find out how we may day by day live our lives in such a way that we can indeed bring your kingdom and be able to live our lives in a way in which it meets your will. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Gracias por escucharnos. Te invitamos a visitar nuestra web c29granada.es y a conectar con nosotros en nuestras redes sociales arroba c29granada.es 